If you, if you think of Jesus and then you think any lesser of yourself, you don't understand what he did to you. You're not honoring what he's done for you and in you and through you. Does that make sense? Like if you think you are less to the Father than Jesus is, you still don't get it. We're all still learning. We, we still don't get it. Now, could you clean up your act a little bit? Sure. You know, we all still act a fool sometimes. A lot of us. Not you. <laughs> no, especially not me. <laughs> think, think about that, though. Think about how powerful that. I mean, it almost, it's, it's you're, you're not taught that kind of humility. True humility is to humble how you feel about yourself and how you evaluate yourself based on your performance in this earth suit, that's, and, and then feel less than before God. That's not humility. Humility is to say, I realize that I've got some manifesting to do. I have some transformation left over here in this body, in this mind, in this current state of existence, but I am as Jesus is before the Father. It feels almost illegal to think that way, doesn't it? There's a curious phrase that says Jesus says that it, he didn't think it was robbery to be made equal with God. We have to feel that way about ourselves. It's not robbery. You're not cheating. You're not lying. You're not being uh, self-righteous if you adopt the righteousness of Jesus, right? And it's one of the things that people have a hard time about understanding an identity-focused, new covenant, filtered message is how we talk about ourselves on this side of the cross. Well, who do you think you are? And there can be some pride in that, you know, especially if you start experiencing some transformation, your life gets cleaned up a little bit, and you start feeling good, you start having some, you start getting proud of yourself. You, you ever done that? It's like, man, I've been a knucklehead most of my life, but I'm doing pretty good right now. Watch out. <laughs> I'm not saying God's going to cut you off at the knees. I'm just saying your own heart could step into pride at that moment. You know, just because you're doing well doesn't mean that you should feel better about yourself. You should feel the same way about yourself because that's how God feels about you. But it's okay to be proud of yourself when you get cleaned up a little bit. Doesn't mean you're more holy. Doesn't mean you're more righteous. It just means you might be reflecting those realities that are already true but you should be proud of yourself. Amen? But you didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> it it's such a paradox, right? It's like, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the most important thing that God, my salvation is the most important thing to all of creation that God could have accomplished. The fact that I'm saved proves the fact that God is a Savior. Is that, do you feel a little, oh, he thinks a lot of himself. Well, no, I think of a lot of Jesus. I'm giving yes. Jesus yes. credit yes. for what he's done. Amen? Amen? Now, you don't get to take credit for that. You don't get to boast in any element of salvation. It's not because you're so great and wonderful that he's done that for you, in you, and through you because of you, but it's him. And you can let go of the pride and the ego, but then adopt something that sounds really egotistical to the Pharisee, the religious mindset. 
That's why this church exists. I want you to ruffle those pharisaical feathers. <laughs> not on purpose, not on purpose, but just because you are so confident. See, it's confidence in what Jesus accomplished. You are his workmanship, his handiwork. Amen? It's so powerful, so powerful. It goes into what we're talking about. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and in the first three chapters of Ephesians, you see this just master course of a condensed presentation of Paul saying, here's the mystery. The Jews were the chosen people through which God promised to save the world. Now, a deeper revelation of that is it's really about Jesus having been preserved in that bloodline, now manifest into the earth. And you Jews are going to have to get used to the idea that all these other heathens that I've been protecting you from for generations, now they can be saved. And there's so much cultural context to understand when he's talking about those whom he foreknew. Remember, we looked at Romans 8 and 9 and 11. Very clearly it says, those whom he foreknew were the Israelites. He had chosen the Israelites before the foundation of the world to bring salvation into the earth, and now it's revealed that Christ is the culmination. And it's not just for you any longer, it's for everybody, all who would believe. And here's the kicker. He's bringing everything together in Christ into this one new man. There is no more Jew or Gentile. There is no male or female, free or bond slave. Everybody being built into the temple of God on this planet in one new man, Christ. And that's, that's where he's going. God, If God is getting ready to do anything, it's getting ready to build his church a little bit more and a little bit more. And when you do stuff like that, a little bit more. God's building his church. And the tent of the kingdom of God is increasing on this planet as you be the church. That's, that's what's happening right now. Be the church. Because that's what God's doing. God's getting ready to, he's releasing a new wave. He's doing a new thing. He's, God's, God ain't getting ready to do nothing but remind you of what he already did in Jesus and continue to build his church. That's where we are. And we're not talking about in the organization called Forward, right? We're just, we're just sticking to the laws, really, having a little bit of vision in place. But us, collectively, being the church is what it's all about. And we got to grow up. <laughs> well, I didn't like that church. It didn't make that. Well, uh. and I'm not looking for excuses to mistreat people, if you, if you hear what I'm saying. It's just that the church is it's the hope of God on this planet in this moment. It is what God is doing. Building his church is what he's doing. Get on board. Let's unite arms and do it together. And so after revealing that we are the church and that is what he's doing and that is what God is doing, is building him. You know, I was thinking about that this week and it's like I had this picture of, God getting ready to go to church. 
you know, we wake up on Sunday morning, we get ready, we head on, we like, most of you like each other, you know, for the most part. You want to be here, uh, if not just to hear these amazing, this amazing worship team. Are they not incredible or what? <clears throat> but I just kind of had this, and, you know, this is just a personal insight that I saw with God, and I'm not trying to make a doctrine out of it, but it was like, he's getting ready to go to church. Where God has church is in you. And as you are walking on this planet, recognizing and acknowledging him and yielding to him, God's having church in you. You're the church. You carry the presence of God on this planet to reveal his message, the mystery of his will, and that is that Christ would get in you and in you and then reflect what, just what he does. It's just what he does. He just makes things better. You know, life's not a test for you to pass and try to get closer to God or figure out some all these mysteries and all this stuff. It's like, no, there's, a, there's, there's one mystery, and that is God can now live in you. So he builds all that up, and he's like, this is what's happening. This is what God is doing. And then he says, and this is what the church should look like. This is how it should organize. This is how it should structure itself. And this is how it should behave. Now that you understand who the mystery is, that it is a person, that it is Jesus, and God, everything that God is doing is in him, and everything comes out of him, and he is the foundation, and you've been raised with him, you've been elevated to the same level of authority as Christ, and Christ was given to the church to continue to let God manifest and grow into this earth. Now that that's a reality... Let's deal with some of these issues, and this is where he goes. And so I'm just going to continue to read. We'll probably get through Ephesians 4 and 5 today, and I'm going to hold off on 6 until a few weeks, a couple of weeks down the road because I'm just going to go into this. Uh, maybe that would be a good thing for uh, Vicky to do because I've been, we've been trying to figure out how to get her up here. But maybe you want to do a Armor of God thing here in the next few weeks? You all want to hear Vicky teach on Armor of God? So we'll leave Ephesians 6 for that. It just... So here we go, Ephesians 4.1, I'm going to be in the New King James. Now, remember, when you start talking about behaviors and, and how you should act and how you should treat one another, don't forget that you're already a part of the body of Christ, that you are already the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that you are already as Jesus is in this world. You know what I mean? It's like affirm the identity Hold to that identity, and when you come across some instruction in the Word of God where you're falling short, don't think that you got to start all over again. Amen? I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Now, at this time, Paul was in prison at Rome, it's thought to be, when he wrote Ephesians. You know, last week I said not physical prison, but the way that Paul was phrasing it, he's bond, he's, he had bound himself to Christ. He wasn't getting out. It was a self-imposed prison. I used the language last week. But he was also in prison. So it could be a double meaning there. He's the prisoner of the Lord. Willingly uh, beseech you, walk worthy of the calling which you were called. And I'm telling you what, you get a phrase like that lifted out of Scripture, out of context of identity that he's already established, and it's been used throughout generations to make people feel less than, as if you fall short, you're not walking worthy, I'm not even so certain you're saved. 
Because that's where a lot of that predestination and foreknown and all that stuff falls into a category of a systematic theology that gives somebody a tool to judge another person and say, you know what? You are not acting like I think a Christian should act. I don't think you're saved. And it's done from the pulpit. And there should be vomit buckets on that pulpit as well. Not for demons, but for just, you know, your gags are hard. Anyway. <laughs> Don't ever let somebody make you feel like you're not acceptable to God or that the blood of Christ is ineffective for you because of your behavior. Should your behaviors change? Absolutely. Paul said it all the time. They came at him. Should we continue in sin? God forbid. What? What are you talking about? I don't, why, why would you go there with it? I don't, oh, oh, you must be struggling with sin. That's why you go there with it. Okay, I got it now. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. That's what, don't you want to walk worthy? All this stuff that he's made true of you, don't you want to walk worthy of that? With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. endeavoring to keep the unity. Now, he's talking to the church collective. That church and that church and that church and this church and that church. Endeavoring, working to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I'm telling you what, the devil is gaining too much ground and has too much victory in the division that we see in the body of Christ. I'm going to push the pause button for a second and just recognize, if you don't know Pastor Ron McCurry of the church across the street, it's um, South Point Church, and it, they have Central, private Central High School. We met in their building before we came here, and he was always very kind to us, always very welcoming, and when my father passed away, um, he let us have the service over there. He's somebody that that, you know, we got to know and fun, you know, funny guy. Um, he passed away this week. And so, you know, I just wanted to honor him and what he did. But he's a part of our story. He's a part of Forward's journey into where we are now because being able to be in their building allowed us to be here. And it's funny because we felt like we wanted to be here. Now we're feeling like, okay, it's time to, there's the next thing is on the, is on the horizon because we just, you know, we're going to bust out of the scenes in this place probably for too long. But I just wanted to recognize that um, him, you know, he, he, he embodied it for us. It's, it's pretty powerful. So, verse 4. Now, this is important because there's teachings that you have this gift, but you don't have it, and you have this gift, and that there are apostolic anointings versus calls of position of office. And, you know, we'll look at that over the next, well, at some point, a little bit here today. But watch the focus. When, he, when, when there's so much repetition, he's making a point. Therefore, uh, let's see, verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And in y'all. 
Now, Ephesians 4, 7 starts with but, and it usually either contradicts or corrects. But in this, this conjunction, if you look it up, it could be moreover or and. Because the Bible wasn't written in English, the translators at their discretion sometimes mistranslate conjunctions. Does that mean the Bible is fallible? No. It just means maybe on this particular definition, they didn't quite put it in the English in the right way. I personally, I don't think it's a but. I think it's an and or a moreover. I'll show you. Back to verse 6. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all, moreover or and to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. But to each one of us, grace was given. Now, the word grace in the Greek is the word charis. So when you hear gifts, uh, and, and the word gifts is charis as well. Um, not, well, it's translated as grace or gifts. When it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, the, the reason I'm making the big deal about this is because the teaching about gifts of the Spirit has splintered and caused competition in the body rather than recognizing we're all, we're all under one Father, and it's His grace. And you, every one of us has His grace or His gift, gifting or His capacity in us in equal proportion to the measure of Christ's gift or grace. It's the same word, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's grace. Don't ever think that you're less than somebody else that just because they might be getting more miracles than you. They don't have more of a gifting. They don't have a separate, better anointing that you need to run down and get imparted to. They might just be, for whatever reason, more adept at allowing that capacity to work through them and in them. Whatever the reason, doesn't really matter. But you can grow in that confidence as well. Because of this, one Father, one Spirit, one baptism, one everything, the same measure that Christ has, you have. Therefore, he says, and this is, Paul, you know, Paul is, Paul, I think Paul must have been a little bit, um, what's the word when it's like, squirrel, you know. <laughs> Paul created his own rabbit trails because he, he kind of goes off topic, but he really, what he's doing is he's talking about the, the authority of Christ in this. But here in verse 8, he says, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, who is he talking about? When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, see, we've been taught that Jesus is up there going, you get prophecy, you get healing, you get feeler, you get knower. And it's like, no, he gave grace. He's given capacities. Grace is best understood as a power that works within you. You know, if Caitlin were standing up here and she could take her capacity to sing out of her and put it in you and then you could sing like she sings, that is what Jesus did. He gave us his capacity. That's why he said the works that I do, you can do because I'm giving you my ability. I'm giving you my capacity. I'm giving you my grace. I'm giving you my gifts. And he just went out of his way to create a pretty clear context that it's, for all, in all. Amen? Now, 
God will absolutely call someone to operate more in the gift of healing than in this one to operate in prophecy. He might even call somebody to operate in the office of an apostle or a prophet or a teacher, those of which are not anointings, in other words, a special thing that is in you that you don't have. You could call it an anointing if you want to refer to an anointing as a calling, but, it, but uh, the traditional understanding of anointing is, I'm going to give you this power under the old temporarily for you to be a prophet, but it might lift. And so like this anointing, this mystical mantle here, it, you might misrepresent it, and so it's going to fall off and lay here for 150 years, and then all of a sudden somebody else comes along, and they're going to pick up that mantle. Look at there, there's someone so's mantle. <laughs> And all that does is create division and competition in the body of Christ. And it's a bunch of baloney. It's just silly, really. I mean, I'm really not trying to disrespect people that teach that way or think that way or use that in language. You know, it's just that when you really understand Christ in all through all, and he's in you all, but then you understand he will lead, he will manifest himself more in one person in this way, you can't have division. You can't have separation as if that one doesn't have it. We're the elites. We're the ones called to, to carry. You know, I, anyway, you can tell how I feel about that. You should never feel less than because you have Christ, the Lord of all, living within you and everything he has. And at any moment, he can choose to manifest that through you. And you can desire it and let it. He talks about desiring the gifts, the grace, the capacities to flow through you. Now, so in, um, but the other meaning of this is it's pretty powerful in, in verse 9. Now he has ascended. What does it mean? But the, I don't think Paul can help himself but to always allude to what happened at the resurrection. Because the early church was all about the resurrection. If you go through the book of Acts, it's like, what were they preaching? Resurrection. Resurrection power. This man was dead, and now he's alive. He ascended. What does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? That is a description of Hades or Sheol, depending on which language, Aramaic or Greek. And... It is an indication that Jesus passed into the deepest, darkest place that a human could go. You know, we might call it hell, but that's actually a, a bad interpretation of it because when we think of hell, we think of post-judgment, lake of fire, forever type thing. And it's like, no, this is not the lake of fire that he went into because nobody's been cast into that yet because the final judgment has not happened yet, at least how I read it. This is talking about traditionally that place where you go and wait on your way to the lake of fire. Jesus went there because Jesus became your sin. Jesus died your death. Jesus died as a sinner, if you will, and went into the place where dead sinners go. Why? Let's keep reading. Well, in verse 10, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. 
Jesus had to go everywhere that a human might go and gain victory over it. The reason he went into that place is so that as a human, as a representative of the human race, could gain victory over it so that he could give you that victory. That's why you're not going to go to hell or get cast away from God because Jesus has already been there and conquered the effects of it and the power of it over humans and he's given you the freedom of it. Now, there's, a, there's, a, there's an argument in the body of Christ of whether or not he went there. I, you know, I, I'm not here to convince you if you don't believe that way. That's fine. I see it that way. But, you know, we don't have to part ways over it. I just see it as there's not any place that you could ever find yourself that God hasn't conquered for you already in Christ. And he's done it so that you would be bound to himself. Man, I'm telling you, I could. You get on the cross, and I don't want to leave. And he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, for the equipping of the saints, not for the domination of the body. I'm just going to keep going. You know what I'm talking about for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's got big expectations for the body of Christ on this planet. That we should no longer be children... That's a nice way of saying grow up, tossed to and fro, carried about wind, every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. <laughs> but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined. And, and you know, this is, this, like, this is the, you guys, what you're doing and how we come together and they do their part, and one has a song, and one has a hymn, and one has a prophecy, and one has a teaching, and one has a pushing the buttons on the soundboard so that it sounds right and good, and one has a whatever it might be. You know what I mean? Your part is as important as every other part. I just pray that you're not letting your part fall to the wayside because you've, made, you've been made to feel less than in the body of Christ, as if either your gift is not as important, the way that you express God is not as important, or... You've, you don't know who, you've not been taught who you are in Christ, so you're waiting for, you're waiting. If you ever feel like you're waiting for something, you're going backwards. You're not waiting on God. You're waiting on yourself. You might need a little bit of teaching. You might need some instruction. But quit waiting. Take some steps. Move forward. Like God told Moses, what are you crying to me for? I love that. Moses is like, we're going to die. He's like, what are you crying to me for? Use the staff I gave you already. That's, that's how I hear God. He might be nicer to you. you know. What I mean? <laughs> but, but all of this from the whole, from whom, from Christ, the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body of Christ for the edifying of itself in love. Growth is what you're doing, is how you are 
interacting in the body of Christ, whether it be this body or the body at large, causing growth, or is it causing division, or is it causing confusion? You may have been legitimately hurt. Man, I really want to go into... I'll just leave it at grow up and maybe look inwardly and is how I'm interacting with the body causing growth. Therefore, I say and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. I love this. When he starts, when Paul really gets down to the nitty gritty of what you should look like, he addresses how you think. That's where it starts. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness, but you have not so learned, you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you've heard of him, have you heard of him? and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You should live there every day, renewing your mind, because that is what produces the transformation and brings you to this place where you are participating in your function in the body of Christ. The world needs it. The world needs you. It's easier than you think because, you know, we just went through this whole series where your calling is not defined by your skill set. It's defined by your love for people. So it's not, God, what do you want me to do? It's, God, who do you want me to love? You define who you love and then you answer the what and the how, right? Your calling is defined by who do I, who does, who do I have passion for? What people group? Who, who do I love? And now once I define that, I, then, I, then I figure out what I need to do to support so that I can love the people. That's what it's all about. So, but the mind renewal is all about identity and And put on the, so verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, if you look at uh, in other areas, you're not trying to become righteous or trying to become holy. It's in you, and it's like you reach down within you and you put it on. That that it's it's like that's how anointing works now. It's not that God shows up externally and places something upon you that might lift off of you. Anointing still works this way that the Spirit of God comes out of heaven and rests upon someone for empowerment. But where is heaven? Kingdom of heaven is within. Jesus said, doesn't come with outward observation. It's within. So that anointing rises up out of you. When you put on the new man, you're reaching inwardly and pulling out of that well of this new identity and putting it on in your mind. And that's really where he's going. That's really what he's talking about when he starts talking about the armor of God. He's not talking about warfare externally. When you look at properly how all, what those, all, those, all those facets of the armor are, 
It's all about mind renewal. It's protecting your heart, knowing your righteousness, walking girded with the gospel. All right, so let's keep going. Verse 24, therefore putting away lying. So he's going to give some instruction. Uh, you know, you pretty much do quit lying, right? All right. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Sounds like pretty good instruction. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It's probably about the best marriage counseling you can get. Nor give place to the devil. You know, got it. Let him who stole steal no longer. Quit stealing stuff. Rather, let him labor, get a job. Should I say that one again? Get a job. I mean, it's not rocket science here. Working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who, who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Uh-oh. But, but they need to know what they did. They, they, they need, I need them to see that person the way that I see that person. It'll make me look better. And this is never a conscious thought. It's always internal. Yeah, what if we really are accountable to God for what we say about each other and the, and the fruits of it? I don't mean for righteousness to go get into heaven or not, but in some way in the final judgment affecting reward and whatever. And, you know, in the end, in the final judgment, you will pass through the fire. Your, well, not you. Your works pass through the fire. And they are judged for reward's sake. And it says you will suffer loss, but you yourself will be saved. And, and a big area that he says that that judgment hinges on. Now, again, righteousness is already settled. You're not judged whether you get in or not. You're not judged for acceptance, but your works are judged. Interesting, right? And two of the biggest things are whether you take care of the poor and the widows and what you say about each other. I don't know what that's going to look like, but, you know, my pastor gave this illustration. We roll up there with your wagon full of your works, you know. Look at here, Jesus, look what I got. <laughs> that means it's a real thing. What if we really are accountable for what we say? Because he says we are. Huh? Yeah, dump truck. And don't worry, there's not going to be a video of your life in heaven at that judgment. They don't show those kind of movies in heaven, you know. We block those channels in my house, you know. <laughs> Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. I mean, what if we just did that? We filtered this, and only what is good and edifying came out of it. That'd be a miracle. That would be grace in action, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You know, we then, okay, so then you read a word like this and you're like, oh, all this content, all this, 
All this presupposition comes along with a, with a statement like this. Who knows what you've been taught about grieving the Holy Spirit, but don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's, in other words, don't, don't render... In, in, Galat in um, Galatians 2.21, when he talks about uh, rendering the grace of God ineffective, it doesn't mean you fall from grace. It just means you constrict the grace of God from working through you if you take credit for your own salvation. And I think it's the same kind of thing he's saying here. Grieving the Holy Spirit is constricting His working through you if you don't do this. In other words, if you don't guard your mouth, if you don't speak only edifying things, you're grieving, you're limiting, you're constricting the, the, the very heart of God from flowing through you. It's not that you disappoint God and He walks away from you, as some of us have been taught. You ever been taught that? If you grieve the Spirit, He's somehow going to move a little further away from you or something like that? There's no context to prove that. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, uh, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. There's kind of two ways to read that. It's like, put that speaking, evil speaking away, you know, put it away with malice. Anyways. <laughs> Really, probably what he's saying is put that speaking away from you and that malice stuff. Get rid of that, too. <laughs> 32, and be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Well, but Jesus said that if you don't forgive one another, that your Father in heaven will not forgive you. But this says, as God in Christ forgave you. What's the problem? Is there a contradiction? Does the Bible contradict itself? Should we throw out the teachings of Jesus? No. What's happening here is Jesus was teaching the law in that moment, but in his death, burial, and resurrection, forgiveness is one of those areas that he completed within the law. So it's not that he was wrong. It's just that he, hasn't re he hadn't resurrected yet, and fully enacted the new covenant. The way forgiveness works under the new covenant is God has forgiven you. Some books need to come off the shelves. And let's just go to chapter 5 real quick. Let's see. More instruction. Um, you know, don't be fornicating. Don't be getting drunk. Uh, don't be deceiving one another. You know, acting like the body. And then he gets down here to marriage. <clears throat> and I just want to address this one thing. Verse, uh, let's see, let's look in uh, verse 7. Let's go to uh, verse 17. Therefore, do not be un... So Ephesians 5, 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. All of this stuff is contextually the will of the Lord. Do, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit be under the influence of the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, 
I'm wanting to address this just to get through Ephesians, but a lot of times when you hear submission taught, they leave out verse 21, submitting one to another. And it's wives, if you just figure out how to submit, your marriage would work out. You ever been taught that, wife? That's not, that's not accurate. That's not biblical. That, that, it just, that ain't right. <clears throat> All right, let me, let me say. So submit to one another. Wives, you submit this way. And then he's going to address husbands, you submit this way, okay? So wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. He makes it make the most sense in Christ and our union with him. He draws from that understanding to contextualize marriage, okay? So, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So the way that a husband submits to a wife is he gave, wait, did I just, I skipped something there. Yeah, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. So it's not that the husband is the savior of the wife. What he's showing is the depth of which Jesus went through to give himself for his bride and shared his authority with her. That's the point that he's making here. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. But it's a, remember, he said, submit to one another. But he's framing it in, this is, this is the context of how you submit. Look at Jesus who gave, him every, gave everything to have that bride. And then what he did, remember he went through this whole teaching of how the body has been made equal to the head, right? That the body has been given the same authority as the head. The church has been given the authority of Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave every ounce of his authority to the church. Are you following me? So what are you saying? I'll just let you and the Holy Spirit work out the rest of that. Husbands, love your wives, 25 just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. He's not saying, husbands, do for your wife what Jesus did for the body and that you cleanse her. He's just creating an illustration and showing the depths of which Jesus went to to express his shared submission with the body. Are you seeing that? All right. So husbands ought to love their... Uh, husbands ought to... So now husbands, this is how you submit. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. Do you, I mean, do you see what he's doing here? He's really not creating a hierarchical structure. He's creating a structure where there's shared submission and, and, and self-sacrificial bonding to one another. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, and then he goes back again and affirms this. We are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. <laughs> Men. You feel me? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Some mamas don't like that. It's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each, each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You wonder why your marriage isn't working? Make sure this is in place. Husband, love your wives. Wives, respect your husband. The way men feel loved is they feel respected. Kind of a bottom line there. And that's how the body of Christ should function in marriage. It's how the body of Christ should function with alcohol, with lying, with your mouth, with your tongue, with all this stuff. There's a lot of instruction there, but it's not necessarily about the instruction. The instruction, that's just the fruit that should be reflected because of what Christ has done in you, of what God has done. And so person, our personal lives should reflect that but our collective lives as the body of Christ should as well. You, I'm telling you, you do not have the right to say, well, I just don't fit in. How, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. How many of you have ever been part of a church, maybe even this one, and you just feel like, felt like you didn't fit in there? I don't feel like I fit in there. Tell the truth. We all feel that way. But you know what? It's a lie. It's a lie. You feel how you choose to feel. You belong to the body of Christ, right? And hopefully all the other stuff is in place, the kindness to one another, the tenderheartedness to one another, the shared vision of participating in the establishment of the body of Christ on this planet. You know what I mean? And, and so, so then we organize... To create connection, you know, we do life groups and we do stuff like that. And I'm not just trying to sell our programs. I don't like programs. I wish we just like, I have purpose, I'm going. Let's meet on Wednesday or Sunday, you know what I mean? But, I, but, but we do want to build relationships all together at the same time. But, man, don't, don't let yourself fall into that kind of thinking. Well, I just don't fit in. I just don't fit in anywhere. Yes, you do. You do. God has made you to fit in. Amen. Let, let yourself be loved. Let, let yourself be led and taught how to let God build you into the body. You know, submit yourself in that way, in that area. Make the decision. I, I, don't, I don't, that, you know, whose goal is it for me to feel separate? Is it God's or is it the enemy's? My current thinking, where is it coming from? Is it reflecting a truth of God or is it reflecting a truth of the enemy or a lie of the enemy? You know what I'm saying? Which one do you want to let roll around in your head and drive your behavior and your emotions? That's why the body of Christ is so ineffective on this planet. We're sitting around wounded and hurt and blaming each other and worried about this and that and I'm not... You know what I mean? Nobody woke up and just one day handed us the keys of the building and told 100 people to show up. It's a process. That's what's happening. Let, let's be the body of Christ on this planet. Amen? And all this instruction applies for the purpose of us being built together to let God 
have a place to go to church. Amen? Man, Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your instruction. We thank you for your word. We thank you for a clear direction that we can feed on it. We can let it abide within us and we can let it transform us and we can let it teach us and correct us and shape us and mold us. And as we participate in that mind renewal process based on our identity in you, we experience transformation. And also we are joined even tighter together to reflect the message of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ on this planet. Because the world is waiting. The world is starving to see a powerful body of Christ walking in love, carrying the authentic gospel, giving them a sense of hope out of this world, out of, the, out of death, out of separation, out of loneliness. God, we don't want to reflect into the world the same thing they're starving to get out of. We repent. We change our minds. We give up those old ways of thinking. I, I, we don't want separation thoughts to, to take root in our mind and in our hearts and bear fruit. We want unity because that is what you're doing. We submit to that process, Lord. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for Christ who is everything to us. You know, maybe you're here this morning, you've never really said yes to Jesus. You don't know if you're saved, but you'd like to receive him today, maybe for the first time. You don't really, maybe, you don't have to understand everything. You can just make a simple decision. Yes, Jesus, I want what you did for me. If it's the first time you've ever made that type of decision, just lift up your hand.